Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags kick off their quest to win a WCC championship Thursday at 3 p.m. against number five seeded LMU. We're going to preview the tournament, talk about why the Zags are playing LMU, why they have a great, great chance now to host a regional all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Science Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube, very fast-growing YouTube channel. If you haven't done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, and hit that subscribe button. The Zags are set for their first game in the WCC Baseball Tournament. They are taking on the Lions of LMU on Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. LMU played BYU. It was a four-versus-five matchup to begin the tournament. LMU defeated BYU late on Wednesday night. It was a very, very late game. LMU has a really quick turnaround. This is the tremendous advantage of having a bye in the tournament. It's an advantage that Gonzaga has had throughout the basketball tournament. Obviously, we've seen that multiple times. Uh, it is also an advantage they have in the baseball tournament as well. Now with baseball, because you are throwing a different pitcher every single game, the fatigue aspect is a little bit, maybe not quite as significant, although certainly playing a baseball game until 10 or 11 p.m. at night and then turning around and playing one the next afternoon, especially when you have to face Gabriel Hughes, who's one of the best pitchers in all of college baseball. Baseball. That is not a particularly easy task. I will talk a little bit more about that game. I want to cover the rest of the tournament first. Uh, USD kept their at-large hopes alive. They escaped defeating the San Francisco Dons. That's a big win for them. They really needed that one. So that is why Gonzaga ended up playing the winner of the BYU-LMU game. BYU had won 9 out of 10. They are a much higher-ranked team per RPI. They are just a straight-up better baseball team than LMU. It was a bit surprising to see the Lions secure a victory there. The reason that they did so is because they threw their best starter, basically their only only talented starting pitcher or their only starting pitcher who has produced this season. I shouldn't question their talent levels. They're all talented. They're at this level. But uh, Diego Barrero is the guy who threw on Friday for the Lions. He has had a phenomenal season for LMU, one of the best and more underrated arms in the conference. LMU hasn't been a particularly great team this season, and so they haven't gotten a lot of attention. And their pitching on the whole this year has been flat out bad. They have been a bad pitching program. But the only guy who has really produced is Barrera. Why I'm telling you this? Because he's not going to throw against the Zags today, or, or excuse me, on Thursdays you're listening to this. There's just no way they're going to turn around and throw him that quickly. So they're going into a game where the Zags are playing their best pitcher and the best pitcher in the conference. In Gabriel Hughes, a guy who quite likely will be a top 15, potentially a top 10 pick in the 2022 MLB draft. And he gets to go up against one of LMU's other starters. And, and frankly, these guys just have not been very good. Uh, every other starter for LMU this season outside of Diego Barrera has an ERA over six. Every one of them. Every single one of them. One of their guys has an ERA. The, the guy that many believe is going to face Gonzaga is Jimmy Garlica. He 
played well against Gonzaga last time they pitched. It was pretty much the only good game he has had this season, so it makes sense for LMU to kind of roll him out there again and see if he can replicate some of that success. But on the whole this season, his ERA is close to 8. For reference, uh, for those of you who are maybe newer to baseball, ERA just means that that's the amount of runs that he averages giving up over a nine-inning period of time. Eight runs would be a lot for Gonzaga. They do not score that many runs. We talked at length earlier this week and last week with Shotgun Spratling on the podcast about how Gonzaga has incredible pitching depth, pitching depth that is so unique at this level of college baseball to have four or five good starters to have a very good, well-rounded bullpen is extremely rare. But Gonzaga's weakness has been hitting, specifically hitting early in the game. They often let three, four, five innings roll by before they really start to wake up and get the bats going. That is something that would be really nice to not need to do here against LMU if they can get the bats going early against pitching that is not as good as the pitching that they have faced throughout most of the season. They can get them bats rolling early, then maybe they don't need to to burn Hughes for an entire seven, eight innings. They can take him out a little early, rest his arm, have him more prepared, a little bit fresher going into regionals. Uh, that would be a, a phenomenal goal for the Zags if they could just pop like five or six runs off in the cup first three innings or so, build themselves a big enough lead that maybe Hughes comes out after five. They turn to the bullpen, the very, very good bullpen that they have and kind of let them close out that game. I think that would be a really, really nice benefit for the Zags. Hughes was dominant against LMU last time they pitched against last time he pitched against them. That's no surprise. He's been dominant against basically everybody that he has played this year. That is why he is in that conversation as one of the top 10 players selected. He threw seven innings against LMU last time and struck out 11 guys. I would expect to see a similarly productive night or afternoon, I should say, from Hughes here on, on Thursday against LMU. I expect a victory for the Zags. Uh, the, the good news, LMU is certainly not as dangerous of a team as BYU. BYU beat up Gabriel Hughes last time these two teams played. So had they been facing BYU, there might be a little concern like, hey, Hughes has been great this year, but they're, this is a blind spot. This is a team that... that Figured him out a little bit, that beat him around a bit, so perhaps uh, some some nerves going into that game. But with LMU, even though uh, they obviously beat BYU, they deserve to be here. There's no debate about that. This is a, a better matchup for Gonzaga, considering uh, Hughes' success against LMU and also LMU's lack of pitching depth outside of Diego Barrera. Uh, the other news, the bad news, though, the flip side of this, uh, the Zags need marquee wins. They want to host a regional. That This has been the goal the entire season long, obviously to win the WCC tournament, obviously to win games in the playoffs and the regionals, to go to Omaha. All of those are big parts of the goal, but one of the big standalone goals for the first time in program history, host a regional, be a site for regionals. And they've been right on the line all season long of one of those last spots to host a regional. Defeating BYU in the WCC tournament would have been a huge benefit. BYU is 90 spots higher than LMU in RPI. 90 spots higher. This is a huge difference for Gonzaga. If if they beat LMU, obviously any victory at this point is good. Winning in tournaments is good. There's no debate about that. But a victory against LMU is not going to help move the needle for Gonzaga in their, the case that they're building to host a regional. So let's talk about that. <laughs> Regional hosting has been a com- topic of conversation for the Zags pretty much all season long. Uh, the The committee wants three West Coast sites. That's what they've always wanted for travel purposes. There's so many West Coast programs that are making it into the tournament. They want to have as many different sites to host 
on the West Coast as they can. Two of those sites are locked up, locked up, done and dusted. That is, of course, Corvallis, Oregon for the Oregon State Beavers and Palo Alto, California for the Stanford Cardinal. Those two teams are hosting regionals. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. That is happening. So there's a third site that is most likely going to go to a West Coast team. The teams in contention for that pretty much all season long have been Gonzaga and Oregon. That is why Gonzaga losing to Oregon a couple Tuesdays ago was a pretty devastating loss for them. I, even though Tuesday losses don't often carry a huge amount of weight, that was a big one. That was a big one for the Zags to not pull off a victory there because they then went 0-2 against the Ducks this season, which if you if everything else is pretty comparable from a resume perspective, it's hard for the committee to ignore the fact that Oregon defeated Gonzaga twice uh, in the two times that they played each other this year. Now, Oregon did give the Zags a pretty nice gift a couple days ago. They lost to Arizona. Arizona is a very, very good baseball program just right inside, right around that top 25 conversation all season long. But the Ducks lost the first game of the Pac-12 tournament to the Wildcats of Arizona. Now the Pac-12 tournament is a double elimination tournament, which is unique uh, to to this conference. It's not something that many of the other conferences do. Uh, So Oregon still has the ability to not only potentially win the Pac-12, which would be surprising considering losing your first game makes it the path a lot more difficult, uh, but they have a chance to pick up some good victories as well. So they, they even if they don't win the Pac-12, they could still win a few games here that, that might move their resume up a little bit more. But at the end of the day, Oregon losing to Arizona and Gonzaga presumably defeating LMU. We don't want to set that in stone, but if that happens, that makes things a little bit easier for Gonzaga. That certainly clears the path a little bit. Uh, I think that the Zags still probably probably should win out. <laughs> that's the that's the best recipe here, uh, as, as Stephen Carr put it on Twitter when he was talking about this uh, this situation. Is Zags just need to win it out and then let the chips fall where they may. You, you can only control as much as you can control. They cannot control how Oregon does for the rest of the tournament. They cannot control if Oregon State or Stanford were to potentially lose early in the tournament and open up the Pac-12 for somebody else to win. That could be a challenge for Gonzaga. Uh, Obviously, if Oregon were to win the Pac-12, they would host a regional and Gonzaga would get bumped. That would be unfortunate, but not entirely surprising if that were to happen. But there's also some wildcard scenarios where what if UCLA goes on a run? and wins the Pac-12? What if Arizona goes on a run and wins the Pac-12? Those programs then elevate all the way to the point where they're hosting a regional? It's hard to say. Probably not, but if Gonzaga were to lose and UCLA were to win all these games, maybe maybe the conversation shifts a little bit. Maybe it changes a little bit. So big game coming up for the Zags, 3 p.m. Thursday against LMU. Tune in where you can. WCC should have it. I'm sure there's other places that are going to have it as well. So check out streams there. Uh, follow Stephen Carr on Twitter. I'll give him another plug because he's always posting where you can find the streams of the game and giving live updates as well. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're sticking with the Gonzaga baseball team for today's episode. We're going to talk about the awards that what came out, WCC award season happened. The Zags cleaned house unsurprisingly in the award season. We're going to talk about that in that second segment. But before we get there, let's talk about today's sponsor, Built Bar. Summer is coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bar, you can have both. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? We are going crazy for the Puffs. 
They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories. Sign me up. If that's not enough flavor for you, then you might want to try the mixed box. The mixed box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Most built bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to built.com to get all your favorites. Banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, and so many more. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zag. Still want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. It was a great, great week last week for the Gonzaga Bulldogs baseball program. The awards came out for the WCC, and the Zags cleaned house a program record nine Gonzaga Bulldogs were honored overall. This ties the record that they set last year. So this program has continued to prove for the last couple of years that they are the absolute dominating force in the WCC. Three of the five major awards went to Gonzaga. That is the first time that has happened since 2013 for Gonzaga and ties the record for the most awards, individual awards, Going to a specific program, Gonzaga has now done it twice, again 2013 and this past season. We'll go through each of the awards. Mark Matkoff won the WCC Coach of the Year. No surprise there for Coach. It is his fifth time taking home the award. We talk so much about the incredible job that Mark Few has done at Gonzaga. We've, of course, talked about Coach Lisa Fortier as well and the tremendous coaching that they have on the basketball programs. But five WCC Coaches of the, Coach of the Year awards for Metcalf, the baseball coach. That is an incredible accomplishment as well. This is a coach who lost five starters from last year. Of course, had to deal with the very, very emotional, devastating loss of associate head coach Danny Evans early in the season as well. Still powered this team to a second straight WCC regular season title. Now their fifth WCC title in the past six years. To do that while losing most of your starters to have a very emotional event happen during the season and to continue to be the dominating force in the WCC is a tremendous accomplishment for the players, the staff, the program, but also for, for coach himself as well. Connor Cabales, who is the Gonzaga Prep alum, he's a Spokane native. He was named the WCC's Defensive Player of the Year. This is the third time a Zag has won this award in program history, only three times. And two of them happened in the last two years. Brett Harris, of course, who is with the Oakland Athletics, he's in their minor league system and having a phenomenal year. Great article at The Athletic all about Brett Harris uh, playing for the Lansing team right now. But he won the Defensive Player of the Year last year, Cabales. Won it this year at shortstop. Two consecutive years with a Zag winning the Defensive Player of the Year award. Shout out to Cabalas. He only made two errors this year at shortstop. That is incredible. Shortstop gets a lot of baseballs hit to them. And to only make two errors in that position is phenomenal work. Moving forward, Cade McGee. Cade McGee won the third individual award for the Zags after Cabalas and Coach Metcalf. McGee was the Freshman of the Year He had a phenomenal season. We've talked a lot about Gonzaga's bats not being particularly great this year and being kind of inconsistent. McGee is one of the best, if not the best, of that group. He had seven home runs this season. That led the team. 
He had an incredible slash line of 296, 391, 486 for those not plugged into what that means. That means his batting average was 296, which is just slightly short of 300, which is a really tough number to get in college. His on-base percentage was 391, 400 is elite, elite. So for him to be right under 400 is incredible. And his 486 slugging percentage is phenomenal as well. Just below the coveted 300, 400, 500 slash line for all three of those numbers. He was right below all of them. Uh, And those kind of numbers are like Hall of Fame worthy in Major League Baseball and very, very good at the college level. McGee is the second Zag to win Freshman of the Year behind a guy named Marco Gonzalez back in 2011. He ended up having himself a pretty nice career. Hopefully McGee can follow in his footsteps and be a productive player in Spokane for the next couple of years. Beyond the three individual awards, Tyler Rando and Gabe Hughes were named to the WCC first team. Hughes did not win the Pitcher of the Year despite having a 5-1 record, an ERA of 280 and 88 strikeouts on the season. He was three times named the WCC Pitcher of the Week. Still did not win WCC Pitcher of the Year, but he's going to be the first one selected in the 2022 MLB Draft. And I bet if you were to pull every single pitcher in the WCC about what they cared about more, that's probably going to be their answer because you're going to get paid Really, really paid if he gets selected in the first round of that draft. A shout out Tyler Rando as well, also making WCC first team. He hit 303 this season. He had 14 extra base hits, which I believe was the team lead or at least tied for the team lead. He had 22 RBIs. He was WCC player of the week after he hit two two-run home runs against Santa Clara in that final regular season weekend, or excuse me, second-to-last regular season weekend. That was a very emotional homestand, celebrating Coach Evans, and Rando went out and hit himself a pair of home runs. Saturday starter Tristan Vreeling was named to the second team for WCC. He had 61 strikeouts in just 49 innings pitched. He also won himself a WCC Pitcher of the Week award way back early in the season when they played Oklahoma State. I believe he had 13 strikeouts in five innings in that game. That is the game that really put him on the map as a legitimate Major League Baseball prospect, uh, and he continued to have a lot of success throughout the rest of the season. Again, a program record nine Zags were honored overall. The other ones were all listed on the All-WCC Honorable Mention team. That would be a pair of relief pitchers in Michael Spalassi, who has came very close to setting the Gonzaga saves record this year as their latest late-inning reliever. Owen Wilde, who ended up stepping into a starting role when William Kempner was hurt and was flat-out dominant, whether he was starting or relievering. You also had a trio of hitters. Outfielder Enzo Apocada, second baseman Xavier Penales, and catcher Ezra Samperi all earned honorable mention honors as well. Really, really great season from the Gonzaga baseball program. It's so fun to see programs outside of just the basketball teams having this immense amount of success over in Spokane. And I'm really excited to see how the rest of Gonzaga's baseball season pans out. We're going to close out today's episode with a fan story Friday. I know that it is Thursday. We're doing it a day early because Friday's show is a pre-recorded extra special one. So fan story Friday moves up a day. We're going to come back in the final segment and talk about that. All right, welcome back. Segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, closing out the show, sharing a fan story Friday. For those of you who missed these, we have been doing them. 
uh, for about five, six weeks now, I believe, uh, sharing stories that fans have submitted often about meeting uh, former players, former coaches, other Zags. I kind of like when people share stories about like other interactions they've had with Zags. I think that's one of the, the beautiful parts of this community in general uh, is not just the ability to make friends who share this common love of Gonzaga basketball or really Gonzaga sports or athletics or just straight up Gonzaga in general, whatever it may be. Uh, but we've we've gotten just a, a ton of submissions, a ton of people sharing their stories, and I really like getting the opportunity once per week to share those stories. So today's story comes from Peter via Gmail. Again, as I normally do, I'm just going to read the story verbatim from what he sent in the email. Quoting now. I have a pretty funny story I hope you are interested in. I am a very rare New Jersey Zags fan, and I've been following the program since Adam Morrison's All-American Co-Player of the Year season. After graduating college, I took a job down near D.C., and I've been able to travel a bunch to the West Coast, specifically to Spokane and Bayview, Idaho. I had never been to the Gonzaga campus, and of course, when I found out I was traveling to Spokane, I had to find a way to duck away from work and get out there for a little bit. This was during the 2019 season, and it was roughly February. Long story short, I was walking around the McCarthy Athletic Center, and the doors to the kennel and court were obviously locked. It was cool enough for me just to peek in and see some things, but as I was leaving, a girl from the women's team at the time, I did not catch her name, was walking past and ended up letting me down there to go onto the court. About 10 minutes later, I see Coach Few and Corey Kispert walking into the locker room, and I was able to chat with both of them for a few minutes. Coach Few is the most down-to-earth man I've spoken to and took an actual interest in me and my job. This was during the season, so I didn't want to hold him up, but just for him being so genuine and nice was an amazing experience for being a lifelong Zags fan, this was a dream come true. I love these stories for multiple reasons. I like this story in particular because it's the second story in a row where we're talking about a Zag fan who does not live in Spokane, did not go to Spokane and live somewhere very far away. And I think that that's a very fun part of Gonzaga's community is that not everybody who is connected to the program necessarily is an alumni or necessarily lives on the West Coast. And then obviously just being able to, to see this magical place that I think a lot of people take for granted because they became fans in the arena. They they went to college, they started as a student, and they went started going to games and then they became a fan. And while that's a great story, and that's that's my story and many other people's stories as well, it's kind of fun to hear stories of people who didn't become a fan because of that, who then got to see the arena for the first time, who got to be in the kennel, who got to be at, in Spokane. For all of that is an incredible story. And then, of course, to get a chance to talk to Coach, have him be down to earth, have him not be super pissed that a random person was on the basketball court in the middle of February, which is a tiny bit surprising to me, but I'm happy that it worked out in a way that uh, that Peter here got the opportunity to speak to Corey, speak to Mark Few, and, and kind of find a, a common ground, find a conversation to have with coach, because that is the kind of person that he is. We, we all know that from our interactions, either with him or just seeing him in the media or just hearing other people's stories about him. So I love this story. I love that people can become Gonzaga fans for a variety of reasons. Uh, last week, we talked about Roni Turioff being the reason somebody became a fan. Uh, Adam Morrison's great season is obviously a, a large part of a lot of people's uh, burgeoning fandom with Gonzaga, uh, and then to hear these people continue to be huge fans of the program all the way up to this day, and to be treated as well as they were by somebody like Coach Few. Just a great story. Just a great story. I love these. If you have one that's similar or maybe completely different, but that you want me to share on the podcast, please reach out to me. You can reach out on Twitter at ScoreZagScore. You can reach out via 
Gmail, andypatton013 at gmail.com. Send me your stories. You got a great chance to get them read on the show. All right, folks, that is going to do it for me today. We had a former player jump on the podcast for Friday's episode. It's pre-recorded, it's set, it's ready to go for you on Friday. It's a really, really, really fun episode, really good conversation I had with this guy. So I'm excited for you all to get a chance to listen to that on Friday right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you to all of you again who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.